Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43. This one outline does cover the entire chapter, but I'm not 100% certain we'll have time to get through all of it. But we'll, we'll look at it piece by piece. The, sir, the outline's title is The Second Visit, Visit to Egypt for the Sons of Jacob. Very, very complicated, and for obvious reasons, this is the name that I've gone with. We'll look at the first five verses first. Genesis 43, starting in verse 1. And the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt. And again, corn is grain. It's not necessarily corn in it of itself. It is a type of grain. Their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. Speaking of Benjamin, of course. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. So of course we have that phrase, and it came to pass. So we understand that some time has, has passed by here. Uh, and up until this point, Jacob's stance has been the same. Benjamin's not going. We, we ended Genesis 42 with Reuben standing up and saying that his own children would be considered forfeit, could be sacrificed, if Reuben did not bring back Benjamin from Egypt. And Jacob said, absolutely not. It is interesting that here we don't have Reuben speaking, but we have Judah. We now have two of the sons of Jacob showing some signs of fruit, at least that they believe that the Lord's plan would allow for them to live. Remember Joseph's words, this do and live, for I fear the Lord. We see Judah here confidently telling his father that there is only one way that has been offered to them. Only one way. And, the, and the, there's a phrase that, I don't know if the world came up with it or, or we did, but there's a phrase that sometimes there's only one way and it's through. And that's what, in a lot of ways, is their situation here. The only way we have is to go back to Egypt. The only way we have is to do what we've been told to do by a man that fears the Lord. And of course, they don't know that it's Joseph, but we do. So this is certainly an improvement for Judah. Remember last time we sp spoke specifically of just Judah, Tamar was involved, and it wasn't a great situation. It was quite a few chapters ago. Now look at verses 6 through 10. And Israel, we're going to get to it in a minute, but this is the first time we've seen the name Israel instead of Jacob in a very long time. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me, as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, which signifies that it's not just Judah here in the room, and it's not just Judah here speaking. It's likely, like we said uh, last chapter, a multitude of the brothers jumping in and speaking here. They said, the, the man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. And here we see his confidence in the words laid out by the, the Lord of Egypt, as they called him in the previous chapter. That we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. And we should also point out that there's evidence here now that Reuben has kids, that Judah has kids, which we already knew, and likely many of the other brothers do too. 
And Judah says, I will be surety for him, of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except he had lingered, for except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. Well, these are sharp words. They're pointed words. They're, uh, there's a lot to take in, but it's interesting that he closes these remarks with, except we had dawdled this whole time, except we had lingered, except we had not been faithful this entire time, we would have already been back from that second trip. Now, you'd have to go back and look at the last outline because I don't remember the exact timing that we talked about, but I believe it was 200 and some miles and likely three weeks one way. So this is what what Jude is telling us here, that it's likely been about six, seven, maybe more weeks since all that went down the first time. They're now out of grain. They're now out of options again. Beloved, if you are here in the sound of my voice and you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior and you try to run from his will or rebel against his will, you will eventually, like the prodigal, find yourself without grain, without hope, with the clear knowledge that there's only one way for us to go and live. And the Lord says, as we proved two or three outlines ago, this do, this do. This is the profitable thing to do. When we found the unfaithful stu- uh, servant in our afternoon study on Sunday, he said, what shall I do? And it echoed through this study as well. What shall I do? And it was like the Lord answered in this study the question presented in that one. This do and live. Obey the way of the Lord. Make straight the path that has been set before thee and stay on it. Isaiah refers to it as the highway of holiness. And we are not to stray from the highway of holiness. No matter how big the buckies, no matter how long it's been since we've seen a loves or a quick trip, we are called to stay on the highway of holiness. And when we stray, we are found. We are found. Notice the difference in Judah's commitment to this mission as compared to Reuben's. Reuben offered his children. Judah offered himself. He'll have one in his lineage many, many years later, who also will offer himself. He didn't offer his children to be slain. In fact, instead of speaking death, when we look at Judah's words, he speaks of life. Go back and look. Judah said unto Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. A whole verse is full of life. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee, and he doesn't say you can kill me, he says, let me bear the blame forever. Judah's words only speak of life. Some things have changed in the last six or seven weeks. There was accountability in his promise, but the promise he was trusting in was not his own. Rather, that which was laid out for them back in Egypt. Even now, he says, we might have been on our way back from there with more grain. And we, uh, we've been instantly, had we been instantly faithful to return with Benjamin, we could add to Judah's statement, we would also have realized by now Joseph's still alive, perhaps. We would have also been shocked and made aware of a truth that we have hidden for 20 years. Uh, more on that later. Jacob is once again referred to as Israel. And Israel, as you might already know, means God prevails. And Jacob's only ever really referred to in the text as Israel when that point has come across for Jacob to learn once more. We might think, boy, if the Lord had given us a new name, we would never go by our old name. But for Jacob, 
It is a very clear picture of the old man and the new man, is it not? And every time the text is written from the perspective of Jacob, we see that old man, that old usurper, rearing his ugly head. I'm going to do it my way. Which it usually ends with, all these things are against me. Just about every single time. The last we'd seen Israel, uh, the name Israel used, was Genesis 37, verse 13. Jacob has remained a broken and defeated man ever since. His demeanor has changed here, though. He even addresses Judah, Why, how can you talk to me like this? Remember, Judah's not 20 or 13. Judah's a man with kids of his own. God is beginning to prevail in the heart of Jacob once more. Now let's look at verses 11 through 14. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels, and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, which I should remind you would be exceedingly rare and valuable during a famine, and take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Peradventure it was an oversight, take also your brother and arise, go again unto the man, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Now in case you were thinking, well, Jacob, call him Israel, call him Jacob, what's the difference? This is not the Jacob. This isn't the same demeanor that handled Reuben the way that he did. Or the group of boys when he said, you have bereaved my home. You remember that from last chapter? At the end of last chapter, last set of verses of last chapter. Six or seven weeks ago, likely in their timeline, he said, you have emptied my house of my children. All these things are against me. And here he says, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. He even mentions El Shaddai. God Almighty, which, mind you, is the first time we read Israel or Jacob mentioning him since Rachel died. And if you remember that outline, it was a long time before that that he had mentioned him as well. Israel's words here are as though they come from another man completely, pleading for the mercy of God the Father to follow his children as they journey back to Egypt. He refers to God, as I said there, that phrase, God Almighty, El Shaddai, the Almighty or the Most Powerful, and it seems to contradict his tone and words during the 20-ish years of mourning that we discussed from last time. Matter of fact, this phrase, El Shaddai, was originally referenced by Abraham during his covenant back in Genesis 17. But that's how it is for us as well. When we allow ourselves that woe is me party, when we allow ourselves to be distracted by how difficult things are in the present, we lose sight of El Shaddai who is mighty and supreme over all of our circumstances and who has providentially, we know for a fact, knit every one of these moments together very, very carefully like a masterpiece. We should instead be wondering in those woe is me moments, what if it be his will? What if it be his will to provide for my family by sending Benjamin and the, and the rest of my sons into Egypt? What if this famine is for our benefit? What if this famine is for the benefit of my lineage? What if this famine honors God? 
If we believe him to be El Shaddai, we have to understand that he is behind it. Even his closing remarks in this, uh, in this text resemble more of Job than Jacob from the previous chapter. Think of when Job in Job 1 verse 21 said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Israel here says, If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. It's a fair comparison. Job was bereaved of his children. Joseph's kindness to return to his brethren that which they uh, brought originally to purchase grain has now purchased a visitation with Benjamin. Some of the creature comforts even of his homeland. A father who seemingly has found his faith once more and the changing hearts of his own brethren. It's amazing to me just how specific, how specifically Jude's closing words in the New Testament line up with this exact experience. You can turn there if you'd like. There's only one chapter there in Jude, verses 21 through 25. And think of everything that we just read in these first, what, 15 verses of Genesis 43. Jude, starting in verse 21, he writes, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy, just as we hear Israel doing for his boys. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, which is exactly what Judah said they were going for, is life, not death. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Joseph's compassion towards his brethren has made a very vast difference in their characters, in their faith, in who they are, and their decision making. And others, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. I can't help but think of Jacob's words, all these things are against me. He was falling into his own word trap but he was prevented from falling any further. And Jude continues, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, El Shaddai, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever, amen. And remember, forever works both forward and backward in time. Boy, Jude, inspired of the Lord for sure. Among the hard-to-come-by items Israel was sending his boys with, it included balm and myrrh and spices. It's a very interesting thing. Whenever you see a list in the Bible, uh, there's usually some extra things in there. These are the same articles mentioned back in Genesis 37-25. Remember when Joseph was in the pit and how he got to Egypt to begin with? Listen to this. Genesis 37, verse 25. They sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead, with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. I wonder what memories this could have brought up for the men that were by the dry pit 20 years earlier when their father said those specific items needed to be gathered up and taken to Egypt. It was as though God required it to be brought up and presented before himself. As though that very moment was to be mortified or put to death. Romans 8.13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Which is what Jacob would have had his children do, his whole family do for the last six or seven weeks. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, will this do and live. He was also sending nuts, which likely would have been pistachios, still incredibly expensive to this day, but very tasty. Good source of potassium, by the way. And almonds. 
neither of which were being produced in Egypt. He was also sending honey, which at the time would have been a grape-like honey, which was a thick syrup boiled down from the fresh grape juice, which also was not produced in Egypt, according to Henry Morris. Look now at verses 15 through 23. Genesis 43, verse 15. And the men took that present, and they took double money in their hand, and Benjamin, and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. I just want to point out, Benjamin's not 12. They didn't hoist Benjamin up on their shoulders and carry him. They just took him with them. That was supposed to be funny. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home, and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. Also, like to point out, Joseph's not telling his servant to slay these men, but rather the fatted calf. I appreciate that I was humored that time, at least. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house, and the men were afraid. Could you imagine what these men are going through? It's been maybe a couple of months, and that was before they started this journey, which if it took three weeks, it's now been three more weeks, maybe ten weeks since they stood before Joseph. And now he's inviting them into the home. And in their minds, he knows that their money was taken back with them. So in their minds, they think the repercussions might be waiting. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house. And before I go on further, isn't it interesting that these men aren't afraid of being killed this time? But they're rather afraid that what happened to Joseph could happen to them, that they might be made bondmen. Their greatest fear is what they did to their own brother. The Lord's working here. And said, oh, sir. Now they're talking to the servant, not Joseph. They say, oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food, and it came to pass, time had passed, when we came to the inn that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight, and we have brought it again in our hand, and other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And he, the servant, you might mark this in your Bible, the servant said, Peace be to you. Fear not, your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I hold your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. The Egyptian leader, the Hebrew man, Joseph, gave out the cry, Benjamin, come forth, just a few months earlier. And now that he had come, a supper was made. Isn't it beautiful when some of these series line up? Ah, it's just amazing. Should we desire sweet fellowship with the Lord of all creation? We have but to be faithful unto him. This do and live. That is impossible without him. But if we have him as our own, we should see to it that our faith is fully exercised. It will be fully tried. And we should see to it that it's fully exercised, that our calling and election are sure. Remember 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-11. through 11. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is an abundant entrance for these men. 
They expected once again to retrieve their brother, retrieve some grain, and get out of Egypt. Maybe, as we stated in last chapter, have the ability to come and trade frequently with Egypt if they're able to get the trust of the Lord of Egypt. But they did not anticipate being brought into his home. Even the good and faithful steward of Joseph's house had heard enough of Joseph's God, his, his, his brother's God, and the God of their father Israel, to know that all of this had come about by his providence. Think about what Joseph has been doing. Remember, we're in the middle of the famine, which is what Isaac started teaching about. There were seven years of goodness before this. So they've had maybe ten years or so of Joseph sitting in this particular throne, who had expounded to the Pharaoh way back then that this was God's doing, that God will interpret the dream, that God has made a way, that God has a plan, and that he has revealed it unto you, Pharaoh. And we see by the fruit of his own honoring of God that his own servant acknowledges that it's your God that did this this treasure that you've been given. They were brought into the more intimate quarters of Joseph's house rather than the cold legal, legal confines of his office where they once were. And Simeon was brought out and returned unto them. Looking, going forward, starting in verse 24. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet. And he gave their asses provender. And they made ready the present against Joseph. Uh, and they made ready the present against Joseph came at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. There's a dream that we had heard about once before. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom ye spake? Is he yet alive? Now, again, what are these men thinking? This is a lord of Egypt, a very busy man of, of high stature and power. And he remembers a conversation from two to three months earlier about their father. And he remembers them. And they answered, Thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. Again, foretold. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And Joseph said, seemingly without pause, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there, and he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, Set on bread. Think back to Genesis 37. Now, I know we've, we've, we've made a lot of references to Genesis 37. You probably think, Pastor, we should just read the entire chapter. But that's the last time we've had these guys in the, in, in the context of what we're studying. So Genesis 37, once again, verses 5 through 11. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about, and, and made obeisance to my sheaf. Then his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. You can just imagine these men. Oh, boy, another one. 
And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And we've mentioned before, this is how he knew that Benjamin would be brought to him. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and my mother, or shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. These brothers knew that they were now to be honored guests. Certainly unto this point, there had been some question based on how things had gone previously about how this trip was going to go. But now, however, they were given water to wash their feet. Their animals were fed. Their brother Simeon restored. Now the eleven were prepared to truly meet their host. The bow, uh, they bowed to the ground before him. That's the word obeisance, that's what that means. Just as the dream above had said that they would. Imagine, originally that came off very arrogant. Those men, and, and like probably most of us, early 20s, late, late teens, they were on top of the world. Joseph wasn't going to rule over them. Plus, in their household, because uh, Hebrew tradition's a little more uh, this way than ours, they were the eldest. He was one of the youngest. He wouldn't have had any uh, authority over any of them. Where does he come from with all these ideas? But we see that all of this is brought to pass in God's time and in God's way, and it could not make more sense. They had no idea just how much providential preparation would go into this moment. Let's read the next three verses. Verse 32. And they set on him, uh, and they set on for him by himself, and for them by themselves, and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men marveled one at another. Again, can you imagine putting your putting yourself in their shoes? Judah, Reuben, any of them. How does he know who's the oldest? How does he know the, who's the young? How does he know the order of all these things? Why are we being, what are we doing here? And he took and sent messes unto them before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Uh, Dr. Henry Morris wrote the following. Uh, Herodotus and other ancient writers have commented on the exclusiveness of the Egyptians. In keeping with their segregation practices, three separate tables had to be set for this moment. One for the Hebrews, one for the Egyptian guests, and one for Joseph himself. The last table because of his high position. In particular, the Egyptians abhorred the thought of eating at the same table with Hebrews. They were a different race, a different language, and a different religion. Of course, the Egyptians knew that Joseph was a Hebrew and that he worshipped the Hebrews' God. This had been clearly expressed by Joseph when he first met Pharaoh and was appointed to his position like we read earlier. Nevertheless, as far as social customs were concerned, he now had an Egyptian name and an Egyptian wife and in general lived in the manner of the Egyptian rulers. He therefore could not eat directly with his brothers without giving undue offense to the Egyptian guests who were present. The brothers were all seated by their age, exactly by their age. How could this Egyptian ruler know this? Better yet, why should he care? Why would this Egyptian ruler even care? Why is he eating with them at all? Again, different race, different language, different religion. 
Why is he involving us in this, they could have said to themselves. There were no less than 39 million ways in which you could seat 11 people around one table. I didn't do the math. Henry Morris pointed that out. 39 million ways. My wife will check it for us later, I'm sure. 39 million ways. It's actually 39 million 200 some thousand, I believe he says in there. That 11 people, the 39, over 39 million different orders that they could have been set. I assume he's not referencing putting them on their heads. He's just talking about different orders. 39 million different ways, and yet they're set exactly in order. The only way this could have been sweeter is if there was an empty seat where he should have been. Could you just imagine how these men would have felt seated like this around this table in such an honorable way? We know it's been at least three months since they shared a table with Simeon. Joseph's insistence on blessing Benjamin at the meal five times more than his brethren was no doubt a deliberate test, and there's more coming, to see if any would reveal resentment as a result. Based on the text, there was no resentment. These men continue to show more and more godly characteristics. Some might say they seem like grown-ups now. In fact, this is the first in the entire account of Jacob's sons that we read of all of them being married together. I never had that many siblings. I have to assume it doesn't happen that often that everybody's getting along and you all have more siblings than I do. She only had one and they didn't get along hardly much either. So you understand how almost impossible this is. And yet even with spoiling the youngest, they all were married. Another examination was coming. One always is, even for us today. Would the brethren remember that El Shaddai was indeed supreme or would they go back to their selfish ways of deceit and cowardly escape. I'd mentioned in the opening that Judah's character had shown improvement. All of the brothers had truly changed at least a little. However, is it God's desire that man be brought to the point of repentance to one another or to him? That's something we got to think about because it's already been revealed in this chapter that they confess a lot to the servant at the door who thankfully points them to the Lord. Well, they haven't confessed a thing to anyone else. Don't get me wrong, we should repent. We should confess our faults one to another. We should repent and restore those we have hurt as we see in Scripture. Yet these brethren instead brought gifts for Joseph and repented before his servant. If God was truly behind all of this and it truly had brought them 100% full circle to where he desired for them to be, true repentance and true confession. It would be before Joseph. Somehow it would be before Joseph. May the Lord be with us as we enter into chapter 44 next time and see what's ahead for these men. As I mentioned,